Thank you. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue our study in the uh, pastoral epistles uh, in 1 Timothy. and We're in chapter 3, which, um, uh, where Paul focuses upon the church and its ministers or the church and its officers. Uh, last Sunday we looked at uh, the first eight verses or seven verses where Paul addresses uh, the biblical elder, qualifications for elder, and now this morning it's the biblical deacon in verses 8 through 13. Let's hear God's word. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to wine or fond or sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask your blessing upon our time around your word today, that you would be our teacher, that you would instruct us by the Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word, our hearts to receive it, and give us grace to apply it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That is a fundamental biblical principle that describes a primary difference between God and us. We are impressed by externals, aren't we? We notice the way people dress, the way people act, the way people present themselves... God is not impressed by any of that. We are surface people, but God looks much more deeply, and he knows us much more intimately. Yes, we look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The condition of your heart is what matters most. In the Bible, you know, there's this continual focus upon the state of the condition. Of the heart of man. Jesus said it's out of the heart. That flow all the issues of life. The heart is the most important thing. Because doing flows from being. What you do is the result of. Or a consequence of who you are. So what that means is that character matters. Your character determines what you become what you do, how you act, and what traits you demonstrate. And that's why when Paul and other passages in the scripture deal with the leadership of the church, that's where they turn. They turn to character. God is much more concerned about who a man is in terms of leadership of the church than what a man can do. For a church to be a godly church, it requires that it have godly leadership. And so when we come to places in the Bible like 
1 Timothy 3, where these, these qualifications for church officers, it's interesting that there's not, not so much about his abilities, his talents, his gifts, but so much about his character. Now, I want you to understand that uh, for us, these passages are extremely relevant because, as I said last week, we have uh, elders in the church who are overseers. They are those who watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We read that from Hebrews just a few moments ago. And so the leadership of the church is extremely important because it impacts the life and the work of the church and it impacts your family and it impacts your soul as you come here to worship and to be fed and to serve and to have fellowship. In the Presbyterian church, we have two sets of officers. There are the elders, but there are also the deacons. Now, we make a general distinction between the two, saying that the elders are the ones who rule the body and the deacons are the ones who serve the body. Now, both of them are involved in service. Both of them are to serve the body, and yet we make that kind of general distinction in saying that the primary function of the elders is in ruling or overseeing, while the primary function of the deacons is in serving. And the deacons serve the church under the oversight of the elders. Now, we've tried real hard over the last several years to build a better working relationship here at North Point between those two bodies. In many churches, there is a sense of tension, often, between the elders and the deacons. And instead of there being a, a sense of mutual function, there's quite often a sense of some dysfunction. Now, we do something a bit unusual uh, now, in that the elders and deacons, you'll notice on the bulletin, the elders and deacons meet on the same night, at the same time. And in fact, we begin our meetings together. We have a uh, devotional together, have a time of mutual accountability together, have a time of prayer together. We look over the financial statements together. Uh, we uh, deal with any matters that need to be dealt with jointly together. And then we divide up and uh, the deacons go to handle matters specifically designed for them and the elders remain and deal with matters that come uh, before them. And that's gone a long way to, to, to build uh, a sense of camaraderie, to, to facilitate communication, uh, to assist with trust, and uh, I'm really thankful that uh, we are doing things uh, that way. Uh, but Paul here is addressing uh, the deacons in our passage. Again, as I said last Lord's Day, we looked at the, what he said about the elder in the first part of the chapter, and now this morning before us, is what he talks about, the, the biblical deacon. And again, first, we notice that Paul focuses upon the man's character. As I said a moment ago, character matters, and in terms of church leadership, character matters the most. And so look at verse 8, where he draws a similarity with the elders, where he says, likewise, deacons likewise, just like the elders, must be men of dignity. That is, he must be a man who conducts himself properly, whose behavior is in order, whose lifestyle is the way God would have it to be. 
know, back in grade school, and that was back in the dark ages, but uh, back when I was in grade school, I guess they still give this grade, but we always got a grade in deportment. That was a grade in our conduct. And uh, my parents uh, were much more concerned about that grade than they were my grades in English or math or science. Uh, They would tell me, you might not be able to learn everything that they teach you, but you can behave. Well, a deacon, Paul's saying here, needs to get an A in deportment. His conduct needs to be good and respectable. He must be dignified. Now, we think of dignified many times as an older person, but age is not the consideration here. Uh, Simply a man who has achieved a certain level of personal conduct characterized by dignity. And then then he goes on to list three things kind of is a subset of that dignity. Three things that ought not to characterize a man who's a deacon in the church. And the first one is, in verse 8, he says, not to be double-tongued. That refers to the way a man speaks and the way a man talks to other people. Originally, uh, the phrase double-tongued in the Greek referred uh, to someone who said something twice. Later, it went on to mean something, someone who would say one thing to one person and something else to another person. And that's the meaning that that Paul is giving to it here. A man must not be double-tongued. He must be consistent in what he says. That is, he must also be a man who always speaks the truth. He must not be a man who says one thing to one person and something different to another person. That always catches up with you, doesn't it? It must be a man who consistently tells the truth, a man who is not double-tongued. Another is, he says, that he must not be addicted to much wine. That was the same qualification Paul gave uh, to the elders in uh, the first part of the chapter. Uh, And I want you to notice that the focus there is on uh, addiction in both times. In verse uh, 3 of uh, this chapter, uh, when he deals with the elder, and verse 8, where he deals with the deacon, he says he is not to be addicted to wine. doesn't mean the man can't occasionally uh, take a drink if he so chooses. Uh, but, uh, you know, we must not hide here or, or deviate or avoid uh, the, the uh, danger that is kind of implicit. And that is, there's a danger in alcohol, folks. Really, the Bible says two things about it. I'll kind of go on a little diversion here for a moment. Two things, two dangers about alcohol. One is what he mentions here, and that's addiction. It is addictive, can be. Some people are more susceptible to it than others. Uh, But anyone who is addicted to it, who can't live without it, who has to have it, whose life is controlled by it, disqualifies themselves from being an officer in the church. The other danger is drunkenness. It's clearly a sin. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. But the contrast is be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the, what's the similarity there? Well, one who is drunk with wine is controlled by the, the wine he has consumed. One who is filled with the Spirit is controlled by the Spirit to whom he has given his life. That's true for every believer. Drunkenness is a sin, but for one who is an officer of the church... It is not to be known among them. 
And the third is, into verse 8, not to be fond of sordid gain. A similar qualification was for the elders. We saw last week the elder is, not, is to be free from the love of money. Now, again, uh, this has nothing to do with the amount of money the man has. It has everything to do with the way he acquired the money and how he uses his money. An officer in the church, a deacon here specifically, is not to be fond of sordid gain. He is to be an honest man, honest in his business dealings, honest in the way that he handles his finances, honest in paying his taxes. Why is that uh, crucial in uh, the life of a deacon? It's the deacons who handle the finances in our church. Uh, When you leave, sometimes you'll see Two deacons, we all have to, always have two, or an elder and a, and a deacon together counting the money. They handle the money. We, when the offering is taken, it is taken out of here, it's the deacons who handle the money of the church. And they must be men who are free from the love of it. They must be free from sordid gain, desiring something that would not be theirs. And so it points again to their moral character, uh, not fond of sordid gain. So this is character. Second, he deals with his spiritual life, beginning with verse 9, where he says he must be a man who's holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. For too long in the church, and when I say the church, I mean the church at large, for too long we've made a too much of a distinction between the elders and the deacons. And, and too often we say, well, you know, the, the office of elder, that's a real spiritual office. Deacon, not so much. It's a service body. It doesn't require such spiritual men. Let's be done with that kind of thinking here and now. Any office in the church is a spiritual office. It requires spiritual people to fill them and to be used by God in them. And don't think that somehow deacons are less spiritual men or need to be required of less spirituality than the elders. It is a spiritual office. And Paul says they're to be holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're to be men who love the word, who hold on to it, who grip it, and who are gripped by it whose lives are changed and transformed as a result of it. Men who know the faith, who believe the faith, who trust daily in God's Word. And then also spiritually speaking, he must be a man who has proven himself. Paul says in verse 10, a man who has been tested and proven worthy and proven his mettle tested by the fires of life and by the fires of his own witness for Christ. And then the last thing in terms of his spirituality, he is to be beyond reproach. That again was a qualification for the elder, the first one uh, back in verse 2 of this chapter. An overseer, an elder then must be above reproach. Here it is beyond reproach. Now that does not mean he's to be perfect, but it does mean that he doesn't have any glaring flaw, any great moral deficiency that would disqualify him from serving in this capacity in the church. And then third, he focuses upon the man's family life. Verse 11, we believe, addresses 
uh, the wives of the deacons. Now, I know that some, even in the PCA, uh, believe that uh, Paul here is dealing in verse 11 with uh, deaconesses, uh, women deacons, uh, but that discussion uh, is beyond our uh, purview and our time limits uh, this morning. Uh, nor do I need to go off on uh, my rant, as I've done before, about how the Bible says leadership in the church is the responsibility of men. Um, the apostles, remember, told the uh, congregation in Acts 6 when they were electing deacons to choose from among you seven men. Quite often the qualifications in the Bible are that the officers be the husband of one wife. Most translations see verse 11 and translate verse 11 uh, in terms of wives. I know that the New International Version does, the ESV does, the King James Version does, the New King James Version does, and here I'm standing with the New American Standard which translates it women more generally. There is a, is a footnote in the NSB that says uh, or specifically uh, Deacon's wives. In, in, in the PCA, offices in the church are reserved for men, elders and deacons. And so it's in that context that we're looking at verse 11 where he addresses the women. He addresses uh, the wives of deacons. And notice what he says. They must also be dignified. They too should get an A in deportment. Uh, they should be dignified by their conduct inside and outside the church. They must have a good reputation. They must also, Paul says, not be malicious gossips. Not be women who talk about other people. The wives of officers in the church must be very careful about what they say, how they say it. Uh, they're not to be causing unrest, strife, discord, division in the church. You know, those are the inevitable consequences, aren't they, when you begin to uh, be a malicious gossip. And Paul says they're not to do that. The other thing he says is they are to be temperate. Uh, that is, uh, they uh, should be able to control their emotions and their passions. Sober-minded is another way to translate uh, that uh, phrase. And then also he says faithful in all things. You shouldn't have to ask about an officer in the church, well, where's his wife? Why doesn't she go? Why isn't she involved? Because not only is the deacon to be faithful, the deacon's wife is to be faithful in all things too. Faithful in her uh, home life, faithful in her relationships, faithful in her uh, church life as well. And then just like an elder, uh, he says in verse 12, deacons must be the husbands of only one wife. Uh, we talked about that last week, talking about how the Bible says that the phrase there is a one-woman man committed to the, to the one wife that God has given to him. And then he goes on to say, and managers of their children and of their own households. You know, being an officer in the church, and especially being a deacon in the church, is managing things. He's a manager. He's got a manager, manage different things in the life and the work of the church. And, and Paul is basically saying here, how can a man, if he can't manage his own family, how are you going to expect him to manage kind of an argument from the, from the lesser to the greater. You, you know, Jesus said he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. But the converse is also true. Who is not faithful in little will not be faithful 
in much. And so they must be men who are able to manage their children and their own households. Now I want you to notice again how the focus here is upon their character. All that we find here about the deacon is on who the man is and the kind of life that he lives. But then there's one other thing in verse 13, and that's the honor that's given to a deacon. Those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence of faith that is in Christ Jesus. I want to say one other thing about elders and deacons. For too long in the church, we've seen the office of deacons as a stepping stone to the office of elders. Folks, some people are just called to be deacons, and they're good deacons. And there's nothing wrong with a man serving as a deacon in the church. It's not like an apprenticeship. It's a calling. It's a ministry. It's a gift that God gives to men. And we ought not to belittle it. We ought to say, you are a deacon in the church. What a blessing that is for you. What a blessing that is for the congregation. And if God so leads the church eventually to see in him gifts for an elder, praise God for that, but let's not diminish the way God uses the deacons in the church. And I'm thankful for our deacons. In God's providence, three of the four are out today. <laughs> One's sick, two out of town. It just happens. But look, they serve the Lord, they serve you well. And I'm thankful for them. They're humble men. They're faithful men. And I appreciate that. But you know, as we started out, the, the, the work of a deacon is primarily a work of service. Serving the body. And it really is the work of the deacon that emulates the work of Christ for us. Who came as the ultimate servant. Who gave his life. You know, the deacons, if they ought to be doing anything, it's they ought to be pointing you to Christ and the way he serves us. And here we are this morning coming to the Lord's table with the ultimate picture of Christ's ultimate act of service, the ultimate sacrifice that he gave for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your church and we thank you for the way you've structured it and ordered it the way you guided and directed we thank you for the leadership of the church for elders and for deacons for men who are called by you and recognized by congregations to serve the body to oversee the body we pray oh God you bless our elders and our deacons thank you for them and I pray that you bless them and bless their work among us as they point us to Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.